Now, in the Apostle James's time, and much so today, there is a great divide between what we say as believers and what we do with God's truth. We, all of us, we live in a society that is marked by duplicity and inconsistency among those of us who proclaim the name of Christ. With that great divide, the Apostle, Apostle James writes that we are to hold the line to what God has instructed us to do. Now before I get to the question, please join me in a word of prayer so that the Holy Spirit will be with us. Father, we thank you for the songs that we, we sang this afternoon. We thank you for the building that you provided. We thank you for your sovereign hand that protected us and brought us here safe and sound. We ask now, Father God, for your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts and to humble our hearts in order for us to receive your message. Forgive us, Lord, for all of our sins. Remove our pride, Lord God, in order for us to hear your voice. Father, guide us and be pleased with us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Again, if this is your first time visiting us as we study the book of James um, in, in, in many of our, our Sundays ago, we tried to cover this truth, and I want to share it again, that the book of James is for believers. Everything that you learn through the book of James is not to gain your salvation because there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. Our salvation is merely, not merely, but simply a gift of God. Our salvation is God's grace to us done by Jesus when he died on the cross and he resurrected on, from the dead. The book of James is teaching each and every believer on how we are to live this life here and now. Amen? The question, do you believe in God's word, the Bible? Do you believe it? Now, your answer to that question, believer, believer, is, re is reflected in your life. How we see and how we treat the Word of God reflects in our life. As the Apostle James wrote, we are, not, we are to not only be hearers of His Word, but we are to be doers of what we've learned from the Bible. Now, do you agree that not everyone who can read can actually truly understand the message of what they're reading? Do you agree? And do you agree that as clear as the instruction is placed there, do you agree that not everybody follows it? Point in case, we have a, a sign, a, a lock there from the tenant's side of the building, and there's a push bar there that says, do not push, or alarm will go off. And we're still handling with that message. We're still handling the, the, the error of that message. For some people, for some reason, people still push it. And then they wonder why the alarm's going off. But here are some other examples of a clear sign that's 
you can really read it, but misinterpret it. Draw bridge. If your dog does a poo, please put it in the litter bin. Now, I don't think Deborah's going to like this picture. And I don't think the dog is impressed with it. Now, on the next one, I don't know if this is uh, politically correct, but uh, I'm going with it. Indian writing. Well, he took a picture, okay? I just used it. Warning alert. Keep your iPhones and valuable under watch. Thefts are being reported in the library. Now, I don't know. This, the next one is probably my math answer. Right? Or. So the kid wrote or. Everything. Not everything that is clearly written down, despite the fact that we can read and understand the words that we're reading, we can actually, or we're actually doing what we're reading, or the message, doing what the message is saying. Like that stop sign for most of us, right? The big octagon that says stop. For some of us, we use that as a part where we shift our gears. We slow down, we shift, and then we go. We don't take a full stop. There was one time that I was with my children. Alonzo was still in the car seat. This is how, how um, far along this was. I had Alonzo with me, and uh, I made a right turn innocently at Wells Avenue. And then I got pulled over by the cops. And then I said, I was so, you know, I was so um, confused why he was pulling me over. And he said, you didn't see that sign that says no right turn? I go, no, no, I didn't see the, 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 the sign. He goes, there were only three no, uh, do not turn on right, three signs. And you still didn't see it. I go, I'm sorry, I didn't see it. And then I had to, like, after he let me go, because he didn't give me the ticket, I went around, and true enough, there were three signs before I made the right. So is it the lack of sign? Is it the lack of message? Is it the lack of clarity? Or is it really, just like some of you are struggling right now, is it really the stubbornness of us wanting to listen? Especially when it comes to the Word of God. Is the Word of God the ultimate authority in your life? Is the Word of God and everything that's written down there the ultimate authority for your life on how you're living your life? Is it, do you live your life according to what God has written down? I know I'm laboring it, but there's a point. The message is in the question. Because if the Word of God is the authority of your life, then everything that's written down there in it, we should be doing. Amen? Amen. That's the message. We should close in prayer and go straight to our pot bless. <laughs> Second Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, 
and training in righteousness. It should be. Right? 66 books, 40 authors, 44 authors. Inspired by the Lord, the Holy Spirit. They wrote God's message for us so that we will know how to live this life, however temporary this life is. God wrote it there. If it is God-breathed, God's spoken truth, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it should be for us, the believers, the ultimate authority for us, not the opinion in your favorite social media, not the opinion of, your, of our parents, if it's against God's will. Not the opinion of the popular culture. Not the opinion of what's not going to get us in trouble. Because most of the time now in our life now, if you follow God's instructions, you get in trouble. Is the word of God the ultimate authority in your life? Now, or... If your answer is yes, praise God. I hope and I encourage and I'm going to be praying for you that you continue to do so. Because there is no other way. There is no other way to live but to live according to God's word. If you want to stay out of trouble, go by God's word. Because even though you're in trouble or in, uh, you face a storm... God is with you, and He will be the one to sustain you and bring you through the trouble that you're in. Or if you are just like this kid, this child was told to not go outside. So I think he's a future attorney, this guy, because he's not completely out of the house because he still has his toes and his feet still technically inside the house. Now, I think we will all agree that we cannot be half in with the world and half in with God. Or for some, mostly out of the world and Sunday in or partially in God. Hearers of the word Verses 19 to 21 and 26. Now, we have some observations there. James's letter, again, is for the family of God. That's why he says, my dear brothers and sisters. Then his urgency, he passes along to his readers that we believers must be quick. We must be quick not slow, but quick to listen. To listen. Did you know that this is the hardest thing for us to do? That's why I'm going to repeat it again. Did you know that this is the hardest thing for us to do? Is to listen. The FBI, when they're negotiating a hostage situation or a kidnapping thing, they have multiple people listening on the phone for the ransom call. They have multiple ears because they know that even though they are trained and paid to listen, different people will 
be magnetized or captured by different words. So they might miss the next following things as being said. Multiple people, experts. The word, the, the word of God tells us to be quick to listen. And then he says, slow, slow to speak, slow to speak. Now, if Anna will tell you, if I'm quick to listen and slow to speak, she'll tell you, I need work in that one. The, list, the reason why we are not good in listening and we're quick to speak is because we think we already know the answer. We think that what we have to say is more interesting than theirs. And we think we know how this is going to end. So let's just shorten this out, okay? You're going in circles. Let me just tell you what you're trying to tell me. The Bible is reminding us, God is telling us to be slow, to quick to listen and be slow to speak. Did you know too, and I believe that you do, that God is a good listener? If you believe that, say amen. God is a good listener. Because up to now, He is listening to our pleas of mercy. Up to now, he is listening to our ramblings of things that he keeps saying, are you serious? You're still asking for him. You're still asking for her. You're still asking for that. But he is quick to listen. And you know, he's slow to speak because he can judge us just like that, right? He can just say, you know what? I've had enough of this. You've been praying for this for 40 years, Joe. Let me just stop you right now. No, God is so patient with us. Quick to listen gives us the urgency to be humble. If you don't want to listen, it's because you are, we are prideful. Our pride prevents us from hearing and listening, especially when it comes to God's commands. Our pride comes before the fall. Now, be quick to listen and slow to speak. The, the full context is, if we end up being too quick to what we have to say, we sin, right? You know, the crime of, the, crime of passion that a pastor from California uh, committed many years ago was this. The pastor found out that his wife was cheating on him with the praise and worship team leader. This is a true story. So he, the pastor, murdered murdered the person that was sleeping with his wife now how many times has it happened to us that we regretted the words that came out of our mouth only because we didn't take the time to process what we were feeling regarding the things that we've heard 
Because we're quick to defend ourselves, right? If it's about our integrity, we're quick to defend ourselves because it means a lot to us. If it's about our children, we're quick to defend our children because they mean a lot to us. Anything and everything that we value, and if it's being attacked, we're quick to attack or retaliate. Now the Bible tells us in Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Cross-reference to Leviticus uh, 19, 18. And now the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, shows us that the wise, the wise people hold their tongues rather than multiplying words. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 14 and verse 19, chapter 13 and verse 3. The wise store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Now we go back to James, verse 19, where he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now it's so simple. It's simple. Yet it's profoundly difficult when we are triggered to defend ourselves or our loved ones. It's easily read. It's easier said than done. Now we need to hold the line when we are angered. That's what James is saying. And the Bible says that anger is not necessarily the sin because anger is provoked. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Now, which of you here does not get angry? Who of you does not get angry? You just need to be in a relationship and you will always be angry. And, you're, and we're all in a relationship. The parents will get angry at their children. The children, vice versa. The husbands will get angry at the wife. The wife, vice versa. Friends anger us. Church family anger us. And then you just need to be driving. And people will be provoking you to get angry. But the Bible says, in our anger, we are not to sin. It's very simple. So the, the, this is the Greek word. Integrity, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. Diakosno, diakosne. Uh, this is the word righteousness. Righteousness is not popular. Righteousness is not popular, and holiness is not popular. To be good is popular, right? 
oh, I'm a good person. The atheist will say, I don't need a God because I'm a good person. The religious person will say, I don't really need God's grace because I've been a good person. Maybe you do. But righteousness is quite difficult. Righteousness seems to elevate you to another level. Now, again, I said this before, I'll say it again. Perfect should be removed in our language, in our vocabulary. It only should be with about when we're describing God and think about God. Because only God is perfect, only His love is perfect. But no one else will be perfect. The curse of perfection is the root, sometimes, of fights and jealousy, arguments, frustrations, expectations, because we're expecting perfection from others. But righteousness is given to us by the Holy Spirit. The grace of God, there's two ways of righteousness. The righteousness is being in right standing with God, and the righteousness is living a holy life. And us Christians, we can live a holy life because we have the Holy Spirit to empower us. Again, we're not saying we're going to live a perfect life, but we can live a righteous life. I mentioned it last week that we should finally embrace the newness of our lives. The old is gone, the new has come. We should remove every notion about our old selves, although our old self is still very much alive because we still live in the flesh, which is wanting to sin. The flesh is against the Word of God, the new nature. And the world that we live in is against God's will. And the enemy is very much real and is constantly wanting for us to stumble. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. The therefore, whenever there's a therefore, there's a, there was something before that, right? What was there before? Human anger. Human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. So we are to remove when we're angered, we are to remove all moral filth. Christian, have you decided to remove bad language? Have you decided? And then when you decided, after you decided, have you been holding the line? Because we can be easily tempted to go back to using those hurtful words. When we're getting into an argument with our loved ones, are we removing all moral filth? Now, evil is truly around us. There's no stopping that part. But we are new creations in Christ. If we can all just agree, all of us Christians, that it starts with us, the change that we're wanting in the world will start with us, then we can actually do it because we have full control of our decisions. We have full control of our actions. But many of us, we want to change the world. 
you know what? Change your household, and then it will grow, and then it will fall to your community, and then the community to the city, and then the city to the state, and then so on and so forth. Every Christian is told to be the salt and light of this world. Yes, we're saved by grace. That's true. Praise God. Yes, we cannot live this life perfectly. Praise God that he saved us by grace. But look, James. James is the first book that I ever finished. Go, coming back here from, this, uh, from the Philippines, going back to the States to get my, my citizenship back in September 18. 2001, after, seven days after September 11, um, I had my Bible, my very first Bible, and I was looking at which is the shortest book I can read so that I can say I read a book from the Bible. And if I only knew there was a shorter book than James, I probably would have picked that up. But at that time, I was at the New Testament, and I saw James, and I said, this is what I'm going to be finishing. So in my, during my flight, I read James. But you know what? As, 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 as wise as this book is, if you don't truly understand that good works is not gaining your salvation, but good works is the proof of your salvation, it will just be about actions and works. But really, in reality, what James is saying, if you are claiming to belong to Jesus Christ, you are to start living deserving of His name. Now, note the humility. It says humility. And humbly accept. Humility is needed. To accept the word of God, humility is needed. No one who is prideful will come to God. Nobody that is prideful. Because they say, I'm good. I can live this life perfectly. I don't need the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's a prideful person. Now, if you're comparing yourself, if you're, if you're that prideful person and you're comparing yourself to, to other less people than you, of course, you, you, can, you can actually grade it based on your own levels. But see, if you deny the gift of God that He gave to you it, by Jesus giving His life on the cross, you're denying that perfect work and you're saying, I can do it, I don't need your help. But a humble person is saying, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, I cannot live this life perfectly. So only with that, if you will humble ourselves, if we will humble ourselves and say, Lord, I cannot live this life perfectly. I cannot remove the filth in my mouth, Lord, when I'm angry. Lord, please, Empower me and strengthen me. We have to be willing. Everybody is talking about the free, the, the free will. Some people always champion their free will. Good. You know, when, when, when you surrendered your life to Jesus, you are no longer enslaved to sin. Now you can freely and willingly surrender to God's Lordship, to Christ's Lordship and say, Lord, I'm willing, I'm willing for you to remove all this filth in me. It has to be there. There has to be humility. And you know what? It says there, 
and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. When we're obedient to God's commands, when His word is real in our lives, it is actually saving us. Saving us from what? Saving us from the consequences of sins that we can commit against God's will. If you are committing, if you are having premarital sex and you are, your relationship is not being blessed by the Holy Spirit because you're committing a sin. Because sex is invented by God, He invented it, and He wants to bless it. But only within the borders and the protection of marriage. If you are not living your life according to the Word of God, if you're still being greedy with money, but you say, well, I, I, I am still probably greedy, but I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just working really hard. As you're working really hard, you're being greedy, and you miss church because you're working really hard, and you're being greedy, and you have a lot of money, and you're being greedy, and you say, I'm going to buy five more houses because I want to retire early. So you do that, and you're being greedy, and you're not reading God's word, but when he says that you have, seek him first, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, if we will just obey God, right, it will save us. What will, if you're working and you're not gambling and you're earning money, but you're saving what? You're, you're losing what? You're losing time with your family? You're losing precious time with your children? You're losing time of fellowship with your, your, your church family? You're losing time with fellowship with God because you're so tired, right? You work seven days a week, 12 hours a day, and when you're at home, you're just stuck on your phone until you fall asleep because you're just worried about making money. But see, if we will just obey God when He says, serve me, when He says, serve me, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that's the first and greatest commandment. Oh, but I love my wife. I love my wife and my children. You know, it, as in Christianity, if you will read your Bible correctly, there is an order. There is a hierarchy in our love. The first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, strength, and mind. And love others as you love yourself. So if you're loving your spouse or your children above God, it's disordered then your life is going to be disordered. Anything and everyone that comes before God is wrong. So, going back, if we will obey God, if we will humble ourselves and obey God, that faith will save us. To live in obedience of God's commands is living as God designed us now here's a quote from Tim Keller. Because a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not air, it's, it is free only if it is restricted to water. If a fish is freed from the river and put out on the grass to explore, its freedom to move and soon live is destroyed. Real freedom is finding the right Restrictions. God, God created all of us. Right? God created us. God created all things. 
God knows all things. God knows our beginning and our end. And God knows that we will not know until we read His Word. And God knew from the very beginning that He will have an enemy. And that enemy will, enemy will corrupt everything that He created. So, again, if God, if the Lord Jesus is your Lord, and you believe that the Word of God is His Word, then we are to live our lives according to this. The practical question is, how much of your life are you studying His Word? How much of your life are you giving up on Facebook on a daily basis? How much on your daily life are you giving up at your work? Maybe eight hours minimum a day. How much in a day, 24 hours, minus eight hours, 16, minus eight, eight from work, you have eight hours. Let's say for you to get ready to read the Bible, I'll give you four hours. You have four hours. How many, or how, yeah, how many of those four hours do you actually give the Lord time to teach you how He wants you to live? Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Now this, I'm going to explain this with another proverb. Proverbs 17, 27 and 28. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint and whoever has, has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. I heard it before, you probably already heard it too, that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Two ears, one mouth. So we are to Listen more, talk less. And then you put that in our spiritual life, we are to listen more to God. Listen more to God. Give more time to His Word. Another question, do you believe in God's Word, the Bible? I actually, same question. <laughs> if yes... Yes? Say amen. amen. Okay. You're charged now. <laughs> the Holy Spirit heard your, mess, your, your answer. Then we should do verses 2 to 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. It sounds like me when I was 18. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So, again... 
We're not obeying God to gain our salvation for us Christians. We're obeying God because we believe in God. We're obeying God because we believe that everything He's saying is for our benefit. And we trust Him. And we believe that He is good. That everything that He tells us is for our own good. If He tells us not to be in a relationship with another a person who's not a believer, do not yoke with unbelievers is what is written down in 1 Corinthians 6. Then, that's what we're supposed to do. If we're told to not be greedy, that's what we're supposed to do. And, and, and you know what? When we're reading something quite revealing to us, let's avoid this. Wow, this is good for Joe right here. And if it's hard for us, we're like, oh, this is not for me. Oh, my gosh. That's like when I used to read horoscope, you know. I would read it on a daily basis at the newspaper. And if it's not good, I'm like, oh, that's not for me. Somebody. It's another Libra. It's for another Libra. We have to stop treating the Bible and God's word when he speaks to us as if it's a horoscope. Because it's God speaking to us. You know that feeling when, have you, have you had that encounter with God where your heart just drops when a verse is said and you're just saying, oh my goodness, that's it. That's the one that I need to give up. That's the one that I need to do. Or something in your mind that's just been clouded and all of a sudden it's just been lifted and you're like, oh wow, I actually really need to go on vacation now. <laughs> Right? Have you had that encounter with him? If not, you're, you're just not, you're not resting with him enough. You're not resting with God enough. Intimacy with the Lord, will, you will feel it. It's not all about feelings and emotions, mind you, but you will feel it. He will make sure that you feel it. Whether it hurts, you will feel that. It's from him. If it's happiness, he will feel it. If it's peace, Despite the trouble, he will know that's him. James makes it clear that any response to the gospel that does not include obedience is self-deception. Anything that does not include obedience is self-deception. If a profession of faith in Christ does not result in a changed life that hungers and thirst for God's word and desires to obey that word means that the individual may have professed but certainly does not possess the spirit of Christ. Satan loves such professions because they give church members the damning notion that they have eternal security when they do not. They still belong to Satan, not to God. Not because you come into church, that means you're a Christian. Because in the same way, not because you go into your garage, means you're a car. This is why Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians, 12, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith and then you test yourselves. 
You do it. You have to look in the mirror, your spiritual mirror. Is the Holy Spirit in me? Why am I not feeling conviction when I'm still doing these certain things? Or rather, I'm getting this heavy feeling because this certain thing I know God's telling me not to do, but I'm doing it. That's your self-examination. Paul continues, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. We are once saved, always saved. We're once saved, always saved. We cannot lose our salvation. But once saved, always changed. It's not an overnight thing. But once you receive God in your life, there will be changes. And the Bible tells us there should be changes. Remember John 6, 65 to 69. He went on to say, Jesus speaking, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Verse 66 reads, from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Verse 67, you do you not you do not want to leave too, do you? This is, it sounds wrong, but this is what it's written. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. The response of Peter in verse 68, again, this is in John 6, 65 to 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe you and to know that you are the Holy One of God. The one biggest mistake of our generation, I would say, as Christians, is that we have watered down the holiness of Jesus. We have watered down the holiness of God's Word. We have watered down the Word holy for the sake of I'm saved by grace. We have completely removed the need to live a righteous life for the sake of, well, I'm saved anyway, not by works. I'm saved by grace, not by works so that no one can boast. We're missing verse 10 there. For we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works in Ephesians 2. Jesus is always asking, do you want to leave too? See, the beauty about God is He knows, He knew from the very beginning that we cannot live this life perfectly in order to be with Him. He knew it. That's why he covered the sins in the past, the sins today, and the sins in the future. But that does not give us the right or the license to sin. In John 21, 17, it, 
Jesus asked the question, do you love me? Believer, do you love Jesus? You answer that in your heart, or you can answer that out loud. If you love him, this is why he says, if you love me, obey my commandments. That is what James is saying. James is saying, if we know, if we have been told, and God made it clear, then we are to do it. And we are to obey it. Well, pastor, that's so uncomfortable. I don't like that command. Pastor, that's not popular anymore. There's more than two genders. Have you not been listening to CNN? Have you not been acquainted with the whole new LGBTQ agenda? You know, it's the Bible is the authority for the believer. So you can, you can have a discussion with me and we can both argue if we don't agree. But at the end of the day, you're arguing with the written word of God. If you love him, obey him. Now, I don't know what sin it is that's holding you back from living completely unhinged for God. I don't know what it is. Only you and God knows it. But make no mistake about it. God is asking you. God is asking you. If you love me, obey my commandments. That's in John 14, 15. Let's, let's close in prayer. Thank you very much for your patience. Now, there is no other way. There's no other way that to do it. If we belong to Jesus... We are to obey everything that he says. Not the things we choose. We don't get to choose. Not the things that are popular or unpopular. We are to do everything. There is no other way. There is no half in and half out. If we say we belong to Jesus, we believe in every word that he tells us. When we learn about his love, when we learn about his commands, and when he becomes our ultimate authority and our utmost love, all of that becomes sweet to us. When God becomes our delight, he says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It only becomes true if the first part is true. If you are going to delight in the Lord, then he becomes the delight of your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your people, their willingness to listen to your word, to make the sacrifice, Father God, in a very comfortable Sunday, removing themselves from the comforts of their home and choosing to be here rather than be somewhere else like the shore of Tahoe. I pray that you, Father God, will be pleased with their sacrifice. The words that we've heard, Lord God, I pray that it will resonate in our hearts and that you will empower us to live for you. No matter how difficult, no matter how inconvenient it is for us, we pray, Father God, that you will empower us to obey you and to move forward with you, 
to take that plunge with you, trusting and knowing that you are in full control, knowing and believing and actually living completely and utterly for you. Help us, Father, to do that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. 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 Let's all rise for the closing song.